what if your house was burning down? Before your very eyes, you see all of your possessions slowly turning into ash. Naturally, you would probably call triple zero or 911, but this isn't 2022. This is ancient Rome, around 100 BCE to be exact, and vigils Roman firefighters would not be formed until Augustus's reign nearly a century later. With no insurance, you're on your own. Now, imagine a private firefighting service rock up at your door. They give you an ultimatum. Either let them buy your house or they will watch it burn. What do you do? This was a constant dilemma for the citizens of Rome, but it's also how its first primitive member, Marcus Licinius Crassus, became rich. I'm Lily Arendtse, and this is the History Buffs Corner. Marcus Licinius Crassus was descended from the Licinia Gens, a wealthy plebeian family who gained fame and wealth through the Punic Wars and conquests of Gaul as military leaders. His father, Publius, was elected consul in 97 BCE and governed over Hispania Altera, or present-day Spain and Portugal, and his silver mines had greatly increased his wealth. Crassus was born circa 115 BCE, Ancient historian Plutarch gives us an insight into his childhood. He explains that Crassus lived in a modest house with his family, and around the 80s BCE, one of Crassus's brothers died, leaving behind his wife Tatulia, whom Crassus swiftly married, although this is uncommon for the time. They end up having two children, Marcus and Publius, and later on his brother dies, which leaves middle child Crassus, the sole inheritor to his family's 300 talents fortune, which in modern times could equate to around eight to nine million dollars. Although the value of a talent was tied to silver, and since this fluctuated through many millennia, there is no way to be 100% sure the value of the talents and what that would equate to today. Ancient historians estimate that by the end of Crassus's life, he was worth around 7,100 talents. To put that in perspective, 7,100 talents was roughly equal to Rome's total annual revenue around that time, and is worth from $200 million to $2 billion in today's times. So how exactly did Crassus amass all this wealth? Well, first we have to look at two influential men. Sulla and Gaius Marius. In 81 BCE, Sulla marched into the kingdom of Pontus, or modern-day Turkey, but Gaius Marius had come down with a good old case of jealousy because he wasn't the one marching. Gaius used all of his power to turn Greece on Sulla and made him public enemy number one. He had his house razed to the ground, his laws would be reversed, and his family and friends were forced to flee. So just as any rational person would do, Sulla decided to march on Rome accompanied by Crassus and Pompey, starting his very first civil war. Sulla was eventually victorious thanks to Crassus's help at Colin Gate, and in the mid-80s BCE, Sulla became dictator, and as such, he hunted down Gaius Marius and any members of the Marian fraction and their associates. And it's what Sulla did with their properties that is very interesting. 
Sulla enacted prescriptions in where all members of the Marian faction were being stripped of their land and titles. Sulla sold off all the land and property for pennies and to none other than Marcus Licinius Crassus. Crassus was able to own so much property and for a little amount of money due to these prescriptions. But Crassus was very greedy and even went so far in his need for wealth that he prescribed a wealthy man's estate illegally in order to obtain it. Eventually, there were no more Marian faction members left and Crassus moved on to fire damage in Chalet. Insulae were cheap one to two story houses predominantly made out of wood and other cheap materials, which made them prone to collapse or the dreaded fires that plagued Rome at the time. Crassus bought a team of 500 slaves who were excellent builders and architects and began his real estate conquests. As mentioned before, if your house was burning down, Crassus's team of private firefighters would either buy your property or sit back and watch it burn. He then would come back to buy the ruined house, but for a much lower price. Crassus almost always got a house, and he kept buying and selling houses for years, until most of Rome was his at one point or another. The ancient historian Plutarch even says the biggest part of Rome came into Crassus's possession. The poorly enforced building regulations also allowed Crassus to build and maintain very cheap housing without being worried of the law. Other things such as his silver mines and agricultural land in Spain also helped this cause. During Crassus's 30s, he slowly climbed the political ladder, as well as maintaining his wealth. So far, Crassus hadn't gone on many military campaigns or amassed military glory. For the most part, Crassus wasn't bothered by this because he had his real estate, but he was bothered by Nius Pompeius Magnus, or better known as Pompey the Great, despite his young age. Plutarch recounts one incident when somebody announced the arrival of Pompey the Great, and Crassus literally fell onto the floor laughing, asking, how great is he? But in 73 BCE, Crassus was granted the military opportunity of a lifetime, and the one he needed to become level with Pompey. So, what did he have to do? All he had to do was defeat Spartacus. For context, Spartacus and a group of other slaves escaped in 73 BCE and started revolting and raiding the Italian countryside. The Senate wasn't really worried about this since attempted uprisings were far from unheard of. Although when fully trained legions were returning empty-handed, did the Senate start to panic a little. Thus, giving the job to Marcus Licinius Crassus, with the added bonus of making him praetor in control of eight legions. Crassius needed to gain victory in order to advance his career. After a rocky start with his men, Crassus trapped Spartacus's army near Naples. His plan was to erect walls and ditches in order for Spartacus and his army to wither away, leaving them vulnerable to a final attack. However, the unthinkable happened. The Senate sent reinforcements. I know, so sad. But can you guess who was leading those reinforcements? None other than Pompey the Great, marching in to steal all the glory. 
Crassus knew he needed to act now because if the battle ended when Pompey arrived, he would go home with no glory regardless of if Pompey actually helped at all. And he knew that the only reason that the Senate picked him was because Pompey was off doing other battles. Unfortunately for poor old Crassus, this is exactly what happened. He met Spartacus at the Battle of Solus River, and despite sustaining heavy losses, Crassus was triumphant, killing thousands of soldiers and leaving the rest to be crucified. It is said that Spartacus was killed in this battle, but his body was never found, so no one really knows for sure. Around 5,000 other slaves managed to escape, but they ran into Pompey's army and were swiftly killed. Pompey then wrote to the Senate saying, Crassus had conquered the slaves, but it was I who really finished the war. Pompey was then awarded a major triumph. Instead of complaining and seeming petty and jealous, Crassus told Pompey to endorse him, an interesting move. And in 17 BCE, the two became consuls together. They didn't really accomplish anything though, because both of them were just focused on undoing the measures of the other. Until Julius Caesar joined the party. They could all see the potential for a very powerful alliance. Pompey, the military man, Crassus, the wealthy one, and Julius Caesar, who was rising in the ranks but fast, becoming very popular with the people. So they put aside their differences, and in circa 60 BCE, the first Trimitive was born. The ancient historian Livy states, It was a conspiracy against the state by its three leading citizens. They did not share an agenda, but they sought to help each other out, so that they could bypass the Senate in order to accomplish their goals. While Caesar was off in Gaul, Crassus and Pompey scored themselves governorships in the provinces of Hispania for Pompey and Syria for Crassus. Crassus, never satisfied, especially with the riches in Syria and jealous of his colleague's success, thought about expanding into the Parthian Empire. The Romans and Parthians had had a really hate-hate relationship for all of the Parthians' five-century existence, with the land in Armenia their buffer up until 54 BCE when the Roman-Parthian Wars began. Crassus decided to rekindle his military career, paying no attention to the fact that he was over 60 years old at the time and hadn't done anything military in the last 20 years. But in 53 BCE, without the Senate's approval, Crassus rebelliously invaded Mesopotamia and plundered a city called Zendosha. But his victory was very short-lived because when winter came, he retreated until spring. Big mistake. This gave time for the Parthians to prepare. They even sent a letter to Crassus giving him the opportunity to stop his invasion, but Crassus merely laughed and said he'd give them his reply in person. The Parthians burst out laughing and pointing at his palm cried out that hair would grow there before Crassus South Sea Shalusha, which is their capital. Crassus should have stopped there, but he kept going until he fought the Parthians in the Battle of Carnay in 53 BCE, which is located in modern-day Turkey. Even though outnumbered, the Parthians smashed Crassus. He lost everything. His killer was a man named Pomax Trees, who cut off his head and sent it to the Parthian king. Although legend says that Crassus had molten gold poured down his throat to punish him for his greed. And in the words of Caesar, Crassus came, Crassus saw, Crassus tried to conquer, but instead had molten gold poured down his throat. 
I hope you guys really enjoyed this week's episode. Don't forget to like and subscribe and check out my Instagram for more interesting historical facts. Next week's episode will be about Eleanor of Aquitaine and how she was ruler of France and Britain at a time where there were no enemies worse than France and Britain. Well, thank you for listening. I'm Lily Aronso and this is the History Buffs Corner.